millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. You should be happy enough this Friday morning. We're back to winning ways after losing three in a row. We scored three goals last night to beat Valencia 3-1 in the first leg of our Europa League semi-final. That, of course, will be the running theme throughout this podcast. I'll be chatting in a few minutes' time to James Benj of Football London. We're going to talk about that game, about the performances uh, collectively, individually, and look ahead, I suppose, to this weekend against Brighton as well. Uh, you'll, uh, you'll have to excuse my voice this morning. It's a little bit croaky. I don't know whether I've got a bit of a cold or something, but I've got a real uh, frog in in my throat and uh, you know that's not really the ideal place for for a frog it should be in a, a pond I guess on a lily pad or or wherever it is that frogs hang out I don't know frog bars and restaurants and nightclubs and wherever it is that people congregate to to have a good time gymnasiums saunas uh, where else I don't know bus stops People don't really hang out at bus stops to have a good time. They just sort of wait there for a bus to arrive. Anyway, the point is, you know, I might just sound a little off uh, at times during this uh, during this podcast. Before we get going, though, on the uh, the football and all that, something I did notice last night it was uh, particularly prevalent, and it's something that has has become a thing over the last number of years: is footballers when they talk to each other covering their mouths. I guess this is because there are so many cameras uh, in football stadiums, stadia, these days. And I, I don't suppose as a footballer you can be sure if there's a camera on you or not. You could just be sitting there on the bench, minding your own business, as Burned Leno was last night, tucking into what seemed like a healthy meal. He had a big, big mouthful of food. Maybe he was just doing a Shea Given impression. I don't know what it was. But you can't be sure if there's a, a camera on you and you turn around and you mouth the words, look at that fucking Egypt to somebody beside you. And all of a sudden the cameras have picked it up and they're going, who is he calling a fucking Egypt? I don't know. So now when footballers talk to each other, when they're on the pitch uh, at halftime, going off at halftime after the game, you just see them all standing there with their hand over their mouth. So it's like, and the other guy's like, you know, it's it's a thing. I, I feel like there could be a business opportunity here. Like, what if you were to invent a language and only teach it to footballers? So footballers could communicate properly with their mouths out in the open rather than having to go... And they could just talk. And nobody would be able to lip-read because no lip-reader would understand the words that they were saying. Is this a thing? Am I Am I overthinking this a bit? 
feels like I probably am. I just, I just think it's a bit odd, isn't it, to see grown men standing there, covering their mouths, going, look at that fucking idiot over there. We all know they're saying, look at that fucking idiot over there, but we don't know which fucking idiot they're actually talking about. I mean, at some point, we're bound to get, like, X-ray cameras, aren't we? So they'll be able to see through the players' hands. They need to, they need to get on top of this before technology fucks them. And they can stand there going, and everyone goes, look, he just said that guy's a fucking idiot. Which guy? That guy over there. The guy over there, he said. He's the fucking idiot. There are a lot of fucking idiots uh, in the world of football. But you won't catch me naming names. No, sir. I mean, I will absolutely name some names. Like, and he's, yeah, you know, and he's definitely a fucking idiot. And what about, he's a fucking idiot too. I think we should get on with the football. Let's do it. Let's chat about Arsenal 3, Valencia 1, and all the implications, all the performances, uh, and what it might mean for this weekend's game against Brighton as well, and of course for the second leg next week in Spain. Uh, Delighted to welcome to the show from Football London, James Benj. Hi, James. Hi, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you and pleasure to actually talk about a game that's uh, a positive. Uh, you know, after the last week or so, it's been a bit grim. So uh, it's it's nice to have a good result to talk about. However, we're going to start on a little bit of a negative note because the game started on a little bit of a negative note for, for Arsenal. As I think I and many other people try and identify what exactly is... Unai Emery's style, what are the key characteristics of his team? One of the things that occurs to me or certainly strikes me uh, this season with Arsenal is the number, the sheer number and the quality of the chances that we give to the opposition. And that was on display again last night, having started with lots of the ball. Uh, a free kick gave Valencia a chance to create a, a brilliant opportunity for Garay. I don't know you know how he put that over the bar from six yards out or maybe less uh, the goal was forthcoming then shortly afterwards it was far from ideal and a team which has lost three in a row conceded three goals in each of those games do, do you think that the the nerves or lack of confidence were on display in that opening few minutes see i didn't i didn't really feel like it was a lack of confidence i think because going forward, and in terms of how they were building up, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't too bad. I kind of just thought it, it felt disorganised again, which I, I don't get when you're playing, you know, three centre-backs who all know roughly what they're doing in theory, if not in practice, and, you know, a, a solid midfield base in front of them. But I, I just thought that these players don't really seem to know what the plan is. And they, they went out there not sure whenever Valencia got the ball, are we going to press high up the pitch and try and win it back? Or are we going to drop back and settle into a sort of five-man defence? And, you know, I thought that was, that was where the, the problems came from. And as you say, Andrew, it's the same story over and over again where, you know, the, the defence seems a little bit timid early in the game. You know, their heads drop when things start going wrong and, and there's no way of arresting a, 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 a crisis. And that was actually was what was so remarkable about the turnaround. But, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily think it was, um, you know, a, a sort of... Uh, I, I just don't know how to explain it, honestly. I, yeah. I wish I, I had some, some <laughs> idea, but... It's such simple mistakes as well. I was just watching back the goal now, and I mean, that's not a goal that that players like 
Socrates and Koscielny should allow to be conceded on their watch, is it? No, I mean, I, I think you can look across the the defensive line there and say we could have been a bit more aggressive. And I, I feel like that's kind of an issue in terms of how we defend, that there isn't enough aggression and front-footedness at times. And and I suppose one of the guys who get comes in for a lot of stick and, you know, he does make mistakes is Mustafi. Uh, and I'm not singling him out or, or anything like it, but in terms of the way he tries to defend, um, he, he's, he's often caught, um, committing to things that he probably shouldn't commit to, but at the same time, there's a measure of effort or at least endeavor that isn't always there in, in our defending. I think you can look at Granit Xhaka for that goal and say, you know, he could really have done better. Uh, maybe we could have done better with the man on the back post as well. Socrates beaten to the header. Xhaka, you know, Diacabi was there, a clutch of Arsenal players around him, but he was the strongest and he was the one who got the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree absolutely. I think you made a really good point there about how how Mustafi kind of he's doing what you want, even if he's not doing it very well. Because and I think it comes back sometimes maybe to the wing backs. Um, I, I just think in the defensive terms, I don't really see Kalasanak using you know his natural assets. He's a big, powerful guy, but I never see him you know, properly mm. trying to impose himself on the opposition. And I mean, it's the same with Maitland Niles. And obviously, you know, he's not a right wing back. So he kind of gets a bit of a giveaway there. But Kalasanak, you know, I, I, you want him to go out and hit whoever's whoever he's up against in the first five minutes and just sort of say, I'm here. But yeah. you're so, so meek. Shaka's the same. I really like Gwen Doozy's attitude, but... Again, he's you know he's a kid and he doesn't always throw himself into to things. I mean, you could and you could totally see the difference when Torreira came on. In terms of that, he was, you know, he was just pressing any player wherever they were. It was fantastic. I think it's a good point about Kalasinac because what he tends to do is if he uses his physicality, it's he makes a silly foul rather than providing a kind of sturdiness uh, to our defense. I mean, if you're if you're a right winger, if you're playing on the right-hand side and you're looking at someone like, say, Kolasinac, and you're thinking, uh-oh, well, this guy, this guy's fucking huge. He could run me over if he wanted to, but he never... He never really does. I mean, I think there's, you know, the size is, is clearly a... Um, a thing people like about Kalasinac, but I'm not sure he uses uh, that as well as he could. But uh, I think that could be true about certain elements or other elements of his game as well. You know, the amount of times that he gets into a good position to put the ball in the box, and it's it's very much hit and hope with him, isn't it? And I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, that, you know, when when you when you look at the third goal that we scored, there was deliberateness. There was a little bit of precision. You could see what he was trying to do with the ball that he put back, uh, to the back post for Aubameyang, whereas for 89 minutes previous to that, he's just got his head down and he's lashing it towards the near post, towards wherever, without any real intent. And the minute that he did try something that was deliberate, it paid off. He's like me playing FIFA when I get in a crossing <laughs> position where I'm like, well, if I just whack this, something <laughs> might happen. And I mean, he's too good to just whack it. I mean, although having said that, I would, you know, as I say, I would love it if he just started whacking um, his opponents because he's sort of, he, he's, when he arrived, we were all so excited to see this physically imposing 
Arsenal defender that we haven't seen in a, a decade. And he just doesn't use any of his raw attributes. He doesn't take players on and, and push right to the byline in an attacking sense. And then on the defensive end, you know, he, he ends up getting in foot races that he can't win against yeah. pacey fullbacks and wingers. It, it drives me mad because he's just such a good player in there. I mean, yeah, maybe. You know, I'm I'm not 100% convinced. I think, uh, you know, if Arsenal were to go out and buy a left-back uh, this summer and Kolasinac was our backup, I'd be very, very, yeah. very happy with that. Um, but, you know, we, we, we'll see what he can do between now and the end of the season. So, we're a goal down. It's not ideal. You could feel almost there was a little bit of an effect on on the crowd as well because, you know, there's, there's high hopes going into European uh, semi-final. There's also an understanding that away from home, we're not particularly good. So in order to have a real chance of going through in this tie, conceding an away goal is is a bad thing. uh, And we all understand that. But I really liked the response from Lacazette. The TV cameras, as soon as the goal went in, uh, cut to him and he's pointing at his his temple and he's he's shouting uh, you know around urging focus telling his teammates you know to come on and let's let's get back into this and after a, a couple of weeks in which the strikers have received little or no service i think it would be fair to say in terms of providing opportunities for them on goal they took it into their own hands in many ways and the response that they showed, above all, I know you can talk about the character of the team, but I really think Lacazette and Aubameyang last night absolutely drove this team forward. The first goal was uh, was really, really great. Uh, it looked simple, and great goals often look simple, but there was a lot of hard work involved in that. Yeah, I think, you know, there was it was that, that brilliant mix of, as you say, the hard work and then the superb raw attributes that these two £50 million strikers have. I think it's it's the first time in a while I can really remember seeing a Bamiang putting the afterburners on and you sort of go, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy is so fast. Mm. Um, but then it's, it's, the, it's the composure that so many other Arsenal players sometimes lack in these situations to just take that touch, Neto's come out, and you're not going to try and do the difficult thing and lob him or run around him. or You know, you can feel that the pressure's on you, but you know that Lacazette, because you've got this brilliant telepathic relationship with him, you know you'll find him. And then it's an, it's an easy finish for Lacazette. But as you say, it's it's not an easy goal to score at all. That And I was hugely, hugely impressed with Aubameyang in that, just in terms of that's what you signed him for, isn't it? The, the, the explosive pace, but then just the, the, the intelligence to, to know I'm not perfectly placed for this. It doesn't matter who scores the goal. It just matters that the goal gets scored. And a good finish by Lacazette as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a relatively simple finish, but it was born out of the you know, the hard work and the effort and the endeavour and actually just putting the yards in and making sure that he was he was busting a gut to get up there and, and support uh, Aubameyang. So, you know, it's nice to see the two of them combine for, for a, an assist and a goal. Uh, and then Lacazette scored again. Uh, Xhaka, I was watching this passage of play and we had the ball over on the left-hand side and Xhaka had it and then Kolasinac had it and then Ozil had it and then they were passing it back and forth between them for a little while 
and I remember thinking in my head, God, we're, we're very left-footed out there. We're a bit too left-footed out there. Maybe we need to be, oh, he scored a goal. And it was a lovely ball from Xhaka who, you know, on a night where you were maybe looking for Mesut Ozil to pull the creative strings, it was actually Xhaka who did that more than the German. Yeah, definitely. I thought it took him about 15 minutes to realize he was playing in a game. Um, but then he did, and he he just he he did everything that kind of has made him such an impressive performer this season. He he kept the ball moving when Arsenal had the chances to kind of counter with a few numbers. You knew he was the one that was going to play that pass. I mean, we all think of sort of how tough it is for Arsenal without Santi Cazorla, and Jacker is nowhere near the player that that Santi was at his best, but. You do see that in terms of having someone that can really play make from deep and can offer Ozil another option when he kind of is forced to check backwards. Um, I thought for the goal, it was it was a pretty good cross, but at the same time, it left Lacazette so much to do, and he does it so well. You know, I, I, Neto could have done more. Like it wasn't really the most impressive save I've ever seen, but Lacazette did everything he could to make that difficult for him heading it down into the ground it bounced at such an awkward height you know I thought again I'm going back on to Lacazette but what a phenomenal player this guy is um, he can do the lot and yeah credit to Xhaka for just putting that ball in the right position for him yeah he, he really does have a tendency to to step up in big games Lacazette there are times where you look at him and you think could he do a bit more you know in, in other games but He's got a real a real character about him, and uh, I think there's a determination and a, a kind of confidence about him in the way that he plays in these games. You know, he looks like a player who really wants to drive the team, someone who really feels like he belongs in this team now. Uh, you know, and two goals. I know we can talk in a minute, maybe about his uh, about his misses in the, uh, the the chances he missed, not his wife uh, in the in the second half but you know to come out of that game having scored two big goals uh it really does say a lot about him and uh you know his goal tally hasn't always been quite as impressive as you might like but it's creeping upwards and if he can get a couple more between now and the end of the season it'll look very healthy indeed yeah it's a funny one i think it's like a goal every other get you know i was looking at his, his stats for a piece i was working on last night and it's sort of like a goal every other game and you kind of think i mean for a 50 million pound striker that's fine um it, it's not amazing but then when you see the guy in the flesh I, i'm convinced he's one of the best number nines in europe in terms of everything he does you know he's always the the one that starts the press um and you know compared to Aubameyang and Ozil, he's probably the only one that's actually doing the press um and then as you say he's he's a, he's a big game hunter you know he i think he scored against every single one of the top six um you know he scored now as many uh, European semi-final goals as Ian Wright I think he's just he, he, he does raise his game for the for the big occasions and, and sometimes in the Premier League you need someone that's a 9 out of 10 every week but I, I, I love watching Lacazette because I think he, he does everything he's so unselfish it's amazing I think as well the response he's had to six months into his Arsenal career Arsenal effectively turn around and go oh we think we need a better striker than you we need Aubameyang and his response to that has been, well, I'm both going to be the perfect partner for Aubameyang and a better player than Aubameyang. You know, I'm going to do the things that, that Oba doesn't. It's, it is really impressive. I, and, you know, I, I, I worry that if Arsenal don't get into the Champions League this season and maybe next season, someone is going to notice how good a player Lacazette is. And I don't think you could blame him for looking elsewhere because 
you know, if he's a big game player, he's the sort of player I'd want in the Champions League, whether I'm Arsenal or not. Mm. I mean, look, he, he scored this season against Liverpool. He scored against Tottenham. He scored against Chelsea. He scored, uh, you know, against Napoli uh, away from home. Uh, you know, when it comes right down to it, if, you, if you've if you got a big game, you, you'd fancy him to, to get a goal. And look, I think the combination between himself and like uh, Aubameyang is is something to, to enjoy as well, you know, because... Uh, you know, we hear it all the time about what great mates they are and what a relationship that they have off the pitch. But that in itself is, when you step back from it, we we take it for granted in a way. It's rare for two strikers um, who have come to a club with a big price tag, both of whom, you know, will want to play week in, week out, uh, and both of whom will want to score that there's a there's a sort of compatibility between them, which I think Arsenal, in a way, are are lucky that they found that because it could have been a situation which sees two players at odds with each other, but they they like each other and they play well together, not just because they like each other. I mean, you can like whoever you like, but you might not work together on the pitch. I think the two of them do work together on the pitch. And, and maybe that's just something Arsenal have got a little bit lucky with considering the way the transfers went down. It's complete and utter blind luck because then you go and look at Chelsea and Olivier is so incredibly unhappy there mm. because he's you know he's having to play second fiddle. It's luck, but what a lucky break! I mean, you can't complain having two fifty million pound strikers that just and they just they, as you say they love spending time with each other. It's, it's a great friendship. It's up there with Flamini and Özil for one of the great Arsenal bromances of, of recent years. <laughs> What, what about the second half then? How concerned were you that, A, we might not find a, another goal because a two-goal cushion going into the away leg is is healthy, not quite as healthy, healthy as we might like. I think a clean sheet obviously would have been would have been would have been better. You know, a two-nil would have been better than three-one. But uh, it, it, the game was in a weird state, wasn't it? Because Valencia didn't want to concede and Arsenal didn't really want to commit too many men forward because another away goal would have made uh, next week's game a, a real problem. So to get the third goal in the end, having missed a couple of good chances, Lacazette heading fresh air and then he was clean through, wasn't he? And uh, the keeper made a good save. I think it was one of those where if he'd been maybe a couple of yards further out, it would have been a goal, but he was so close to the keeper, it was a bit more difficult than we appreciate at the time. Yeah, I thought it was it was a it was it was frustrating, but I mean, you know, he's taken one quite difficult chance there. It's not necessarily like you know, it would have been Lacazette's fault if if Arsenal don't go through. Um, obviously, the Aubameyang goal is crucial, but kind of the one thing that impressed me was was just how solid Arsenal looked at the back. And again, it it, it makes it all the weirder that they looked so open in those early minutes. I mean. Yeah, you had that chance when um, I think it was Gamero got through and, and Czech saved very well. But mm. look, Valencia aren't a bad team, and if they're going to they're going to create one or two chances against you. But actually, I thought going back to what we were saying earlier, Arsenal were defending on the front foot. Koscielny, Socrates, and Mustafi were all winning the ball back high up the pitch, and that just meant that yeah, Arsenal don't have to commit too many men forward, but they can just they can keep the ball where they want it. You know, there's a lot of cycling possession around the sort of midfield, you know, kind of around parts of the uh, the Valencia half, not committing too many men forward. But then, you know, when the chance came, Aubameyang finally uh, finally finished. That he, you know, he'd missed as many good chances as uh, Lacazette as well. So he took that goal very well, but it, it should have been a penalty, even if he hadn't scored. 
what did I miss there? I, have I got to watch it again? Oh yeah, if you look at it, um, Torreira goes absolutely, oh, yeah, absolutely flying. I can't, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I can't quite see who the Valencia defender is, but Torreira's waiting for a cross, um, and he's absolutely pulled back by. I think it's um, the number four uh, for Valencia. Just pulls him to the ground, um, but Aubameyang scores. So who cares? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that one. Yeah, I did notice Torreira in the middle. Uh, on the ground, but uh, it just you know watching Aubameyang score the goal and do a celebration, I was okay. We'll see. Okay, I wonder what the referee have given it if he'd missed it. Uh, we, I guess he didn't we'll never know. Very well for the game, I thought. I thought it was quite poorly refereed, yeah. so he probably missed it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because the ball went <laughs> in the net in the end. Um, you you mentioned that chance for Gamero, which came about because. Koscielny uh, had just switched off a little bit for probably the only time in the game where he switched off. And I think it was because basically he's he's exhausted. He looks like a very tired man. Uh, I think mm. in the last couple of weeks, he has probably been overplayed given the circumstances in which he finds himself in. You know, at his age, at 33, which is not over the hill or anything like it, but... You know, he's he's got to be managed. His fitness has got to be managed. And he, as much as anybody, knows that. Uh, that there's a limit to what he can do coming back from that injury. And maybe he's been played a little more than he might like uh, in recent weeks. Um, and he switched off just for that moment. And that was a chance for Gamero and Czech made a, a save. But, you know, it was 10 more minutes before Unai Emery made the substitution and put Nacho Monreal on, which I was a little bit surprised at because fairly early in the second half, I was wondering if Koscielny might be a guy to make way because, you know, when he runs and when he's at full full sprint, he runs like a man who is in pain. And he, mm. he runs like a man who is running to try and offset, you know, like if you've got a sore heel or something or you've got a, you you run on the balls of your feet whatever it is he's running like a guy who's trying to like lessen the pain that he's in he's absolutely putting himself and his body on the line for for this team uh, at the moment because he obviously feels like there's unfinished business in the Europa League after what happened last season in Madrid how impressed were you with him last night i know we can't really talk about the previous games because they haven't gone our way and you can point fingers at our defense and, and all that kind of stuff. But I have to say, last night, I, I loved what Koscielny did. I think Emery probably could have taken him off a bit sooner. But f for as long as he was out there, he gave everything he had. He's absolutely phenomenal. I, you know, when you see, I, I, I first saw Lauren limping in about the 10th or 15th minute. And I, I was looking at him then and I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy can scarcely walk. And I totally agree with you. Sometimes it looks like he's, he, you know, he's running just because if, it, you know, if he can run and put it, you know, push himself a bit further, the pain maybe hurts less. I don't, you know, I don't know. But yeah. in the short term, it, you, you just cannot like help but walk away from a lot of Arsenal games at the moment and go, God, I can't believe what Koscielny is putting himself through because there's very rare that he doesn't finish a game looking in in some form of pain. Um, and it was it was absolutely remarkable um, what he was doing for, for the cause. And I've, I've kind of had my issues before about his leadership in terms of I, I, I personally would like a more vocal captain. But when you see a guy that's clearly injured 
running himself to the ground for the Arsenal cause, it can't help but convince you, you know, whether you're uh, Lacazette, Bamiyang, whoever, Kalasanat, Maitland, so mm. just give that extra 5% because this guy is playing with serious injuries. You know, he's got an ongoing Achilles issue in addition to the broken Achilles or whatever it was that he had a year ago. And, you know, there's part of you that, that thinks God long term, what is what is Lauren doing to his his fitness after football just to make this this contribution to Arsenal in the final days of the season? Yeah, I, but you can't help but admire him for it. Yeah, I have to say, just looking at him, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but if at the end of this season he were to say, "Look, I can't do it at this level mm-hmm. anymore. I either maybe go back to France and play, you know, a year." where it's not quite as physically intense or or he calls it a day it wouldn't surprise me at all i know we've had this amazing this amazing story haven't we and they've they've put him through this fitness regime and that um, that that incredible video that the club made which showed you the 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 recuperation and what he went through to come back which is remarkable in itself but looking at the guy last night just you know i i, I wouldn't be that surprised if this were his final season, which is uh, which makes it all the more important that we we go the distance this time in in Europe, how do you feel like we're set up for the second leg now? Are you confident enough with three one? I mean, I think two one would have been quite edgy. Three one. I know they have the away goal, but I do feel like we can we can score against this team as long as we we don't let the away thing get into our heads, which I think is one of the big challenges that Unai Emery faces because I think it is very close to the forefront of of the players' minds. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, you talk to the players after the away games at the moment and they're just like, God, we don't know what. We don't know what it is, but we don't understand. You know, we don't feel like we know how to fix this away problem. Um, But yeah, look, you know, that Valencia... The back line had, what, six defenders on the pitch and looked like Arsenal could kind of breach it whenever they felt like it. So you back Arsenal to get an away goal in this. Um, and then I think kind of it's pretty hard to lose from that position. You know, if they remember how professionally they dealt with the Napoli game, I don't really think Valencia have anything to worry them. Just wanted to say one more thing on um, Koscielny. Yeah. Because I think we all forget that that injury he he suffered again and again. You know he before he suffered that injury, he had those chronic Achilles issues that cost him the World Cup. Uh, you know that cost mm. him the chance to win the World Cup. And you know I know that as well as possibly the Europa League. And I hope you know you know without any fan hat on, it's only as a, you know with my journalistic hat on, I'd still love to see Lauren Kajelny get that kind of reward of a, a Europa League winner's medal. And yeah, I think Arsenal are pretty well placed to at least get to the final. Wouldn't shock me as well if Frankfurt maybe do them a few favours and, and they don't have to play Chelsea in the final, which would be massive. Oh my God, I'd love that. I mean, I say that um, uh, with all due respect to Frankfurt, because if you get to the final and you beat Chelsea on the way, then you're a good team and you can't take anything for granted. But I just think in terms of going into that game, if we were to get there, I would so much rather play Frankfurt than Chelsea it's too I don't, I don't like European games against English clubs there's just something about them that I, I can never enjoy them I don't think um, if we were to win of course it would be amazing but I just think from a from a European final 
spectacle point of view or, or just how the game is perceived, Frankfurt versus Arsenal or Arsenal versus Frankfurt would be would be great. And I think what's interesting about next week as well is that uh, Valencia as a team who who don't score a huge amount of goals. They've only scored 40 goals in La Liga this season. Uh, it's not necessarily their strength. Playing on the front foot and attacking is not how they usually set up. And they're going to have to because they've got to overturn a, a two-goal lead. So if Arsenal can use the, the intelligence and the pace uh, of their forwards um, and the creativity that they might have behind them, then, you know, there's a good chance we go through. Just quickly, what, what did you make of Mesut Ozil's performance last night? I mean, I sort of expected a bit more uh, from him at home in a game like this, but I thought in general he was he was pretty tidy, very, uh, very uh, what's the word I'm going to use here, economical with possession. He didn't lose the ball, kept it ticking over, and, and maybe left it for someone like Xhaka to play the passes. Yeah, exactly that. I thought it was fine. And it's really nice, you know, kind of because he's such a divisive figure. It's just really nice when he's he's just fine and you don't really have to talk about him that much. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that because, you know, you can only set yourself up for a fall in the world of Arsenal Twitter when uh, Mesut Ozil is the topic of conversation. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he kept the ball. He kept the ball really well. He kept possession moving. He didn't necessarily create a huge number of chances, but like he was good enough, a, a six or a seven out of ten. That's absolutely fine by me. All Don't right. have to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, okay, good stuff. Just uh, looking ahead very briefly to, to this weekend then, um, amazingly, it's still possible for Arsenal to finish in the top four. It's unlikely but it's still possible. Um, you know, if Chelsea can drop points to Frankfurt, they can drop points to... Who are they playing? I should have looked this up, shouldn't what, I? Watford at home and then um, Leicester away. Right, okay. So two games in which it's potentially possible for them to, to drop points. Of course, it's incumbent on Arsenal taking probably maximum points from their final two games. Brighton at home uh, this weekend. I mean, I think there has to be a measure of rotation for this game simply because a lot of those players uh, you know who put in a lot on on Thursday night will probably need a bit of a rest for for the away leg certainly Koscielny if he's involved I'd be I'd be flabbergasted if he were involved um, but it is an important game uh, and also a game in which uh, there'll be some goodbyes from a, a couple of players Um so first, how do you see Emery approaching this one? Is he going to... I mean, I know he doesn't have a huge squad anyway, but he is going to have to shift things around a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, I, I thought it was quite interesting that he didn't start Torreira, who was absolutely fully fit. And I suspect that's kind of with an eye on Brighton and you have one midfielder who's coming into the game at, at near 100%. Um, and he'll start. And I think a lot of that was like... Emery kind of thinking, well, if I don't start Torreira and Xhaka on Thursday night, I definitely don't have to start El Elneny on um, Sunday. I think similarly, like someone like Monreal might come in. Um, I don't know if he would go for Iwobi and Mkhitaryan because um, they've been really rubbish of late. Uh, but I think maybe one of the strikers drops out. Um, that aside, I think you, you, you're going to have to keep the core of this uh, of, of this team together because the options on the bench, again, are sort of so sparse, really missing. This stage of the season is the stage where you really feel like you're missing Danny Welbeck because 
you look on that bench for sort of, I need to throw someone on to get me a goal. And it's sort of like, bless Eddie Nketiah. But yeah, I mean, Unai Emery is throwing him hospital pass after hospital pass. Yeah, it's it's yeah. He's you know he's not he's not ready, really, uh, and he's sort of at a point, isn't he, where he might just be stagnating. Um, yeah, because I'm worried about that yeah, a lot. you know he he does need to go and play. Simple as that. Um, look, we'll wait and see what what he does uh, there. Just a couple of final things. One of the sad stories of the week is the fact that Aaron Ramsey's hamstring injury means he's played his last game for Arsenal, which I think is a terrible shame even if we were to make it to the final in Baku, which doesn't take place until maybe the 26th or the 29th of May, you know, uh, almost a full month, he's not going to be ready. Um, it's disappointing for him, obviously, not to be able to say goodbye on the pitch the way that many players have, um, and disappointing that he's not going to be able to score another cup final winner for us, uh, particularly against Chelsea, if, if that were to be the case. Uh, but in a weird way, there's something sort of fitting, not fitting, but Ramsey's Arsenal career finishing with an injury after an injury-plagued 10 years with the club seems in some ways apt, regardless of how disappointing it is. And, you know, I love the guy. I think he's brilliant. But maybe it's just a, an indication of why, as a club, perhaps we need to move on, even if we didn't handle this situation as well as we could have. Yeah, it is a reminder that you ultimately would have been paying £200,000 a week for a player that I think... I, I can't remember when exactly Wenger said this, but he has said before that Ramsey needed constant management in terms of his injury load and you couldn't quite play him week in, week out as you, as you could others. I think uh, as well, look, the reason he did his hamstring, he, I, I think he was, was he was desperately trying to reach a, a loose ball. And I think that kind of spoke to what his attitude had been like in those final weeks. I know Emery spoke about how he want, how Ramsey wanted to do something special before he left the club, which I think for me, you know, I was never quite sure where I kind of, how I viewed Ramsey. Um, he was obviously a, one, of, one of the many, one of the few players that, that kind of turned up consistently in the big games but you know he was he drove you mad sometimes in other games with his with his ill discipline tactically but you know his response to to going to Juventus wasn't what I think we would all do when we're getting a new job which is coast our way through the final the final months of our, <laughs> of our last job yeah. waiting to turn up waiting to move to uh, Turin and, and live a lovely life in the piazzas of Italy um, he was just absolutely driven and that probably is, is what kind of caused that hamstring you know he was chasing every single loose ball, doing his best in attack and defence. It was kind of inevitable it would, would break down. But yeah, it's, he's he's such a loss to Arsenal just in terms of being an absolute stand-up guy and someone that really holds this, this club very dearly in his heart. And I'm sure he's going to get a fantastic reception at the Emirates on, on Sunday, which I kind of think even back when it was announced he was going to Juventus, I think if he'd said then... There won't be a single person in the uh, in the stadium grumbling about Aaron Ramsey having left. I think you would have probably thought that was quite unlikely. So, just a measure of the man that mm. he's he's given his all in these final few months. There is there is uh, talk. I don't know if you can confirm this one way or the other. If you've spoken to anybody at the club about what the plans are, but I saw it uh, posited during the week that there might be a, a guard of honor 
for Aaron Ramsey and also a guard of honour for Petr Cech, who's playing his, or who will be involved in his final uh, home game uh, before his retirement. He probably won't play because uh, Bern Leno will play in, in the Premier League and there's still uh, something to play for. So there's no room for sentimentality when it comes to, to team selection. But do we know if Danny Welbeck is also involved in any potential guard of honour? Because he too is out of contract. He's been at the club longer than Petr Cech. Um, do we... Do we know anything about that? And if he's not involved, is, does that tell us perhaps that there might be something going on um, behind the scenes about Welbeck's future? Uh, interesting. I know that there will be a guard of honour and I know that Czech and, and uh, Ramsey will be involved, but I don't think Welbeck will. Right. Now, right. And well, yeah. I, I think... That would make you think, it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would, you know, you would still come down on the side of Arsenal going to say, thank you very much for your excellent service, Danny, for putting all this into the cause, but bye-bye, time to move on. But I don't think they've entirely ruled out, 100% ruled out the possibility of handing him a, a contract extension. I don't. I think, you know, a lot of it will depend on things like who who's available in the summer, because if you take a look at the sort of, the players that they're looking at to strengthen in wide areas, someone like Ryan Fraser mm. can't function as your third choice striker. No. So if money's tight and if Danny were willing to take a pay cut or be on some, and this is just me speculating here, this isn't reporting. And I know that this will probably appear on Twitter. And then a few <laughs> hours later, Danny will <laughs> confirm Welbeck's off and I'll look like an idiot, but um, it wouldn't shock me. Well, it would shock me. But I wouldn't be like, I could never have seen that coming. I think it's maybe a 5% chance, but I don't think he'll be there for a guard of honour. Right. If he is, we can, we can pretty much take for certain that he's he's going. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't make a definitive decision on Welbeck just yet. He's a useful player, even if he is, you know, he's useful. Yeah. I'd be tempted to keep him around. Look, I can see, uh, given the circumstances, given the the budget that we have... I can see a logic in giving a two-year deal to Danny Welbeck and maybe at the end of 12 months decide to sell him and cash in. You know, he's somebody who could perhaps provide... Uh, you know, obviously provide backup to the strikers. He could provide a bit of experience and uh, and help nurture somebody like Reese Nelson, who's probably going to be part of the first team squad. Take a little bit of the burden off a young player who who on whom expectations will be placed if he's if he's uh, beginning to start games, you know, for the club. So I can see it. I just you know I I, I would be very surprised. I can see the logic in it, um, and maybe I'll try and find out. Maybe we can try and find out what the what the situation with Welbeck is, because if it is a case that he's leaving and they're giving a guard of honour to Ramsey and uh, Czech, it would be a bit mean to leave him out, you know, because uh, whatever else Danny Welbeck is, uh, he's definitely one of the good guys. I'm um, I'm going to petition Arsenal that we get the, the debut um, appearance of Petr Cech's new single uh, on, on Sunday. I don't know if you've seen this, but apparently he's bringing out his own single. So I think it would be absolute nonsense if there isn't a drum kit in the uh, (laughs) middle of the Emirates stadium for him to go absolutely mad on. (laughs) That would be something. Uh, Just for the record, this is uh, apparently a charity single that he's releasing with uh, Roger Taylor from Queen. So whatever, (laughs) 
<laughs> it is a bit bizarre. It is a bit bizarre. Um, uh, but I think we have to put it in that context. So, you know, in the pantheon of football songs or songs by footballers, you know, it would have to be really, 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 really bad to be one of yeah. the worst songs of all time uh, released by a footballer because there's some fucking terrible ones out there. I'm so ready for it to be an absolute tune. I think it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> I've just decided I'm going to love it no matter what. All right, well, we'll see. Maybe they'll play that when they're giving him the guard of honour and uh, Danny Welbeck is sitting on the bench going, what about me? Why did what did you leave me here? <laughs> well, it's a single Danny, then you'll get a guard of honour. Exactly. All right, James, listen, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. James Benj from Football London. Thank you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter at James Benj, at James Benj, and also writing about Arsenal for Football London. So what else is there left to say? We've talked about Valencia. We've looked ahead briefly to the Brighton game on Sunday. What kind of a team will put out? I mean, we have to try and win that game just in case Chelsea fuck it up somewhere along the way. We've got to make sure we take three points at the same time, though. I guess we can't ignore the fact there is a European semi-final second leg on Thursday against Valencia. Thursday to Sunday. Sunday to Thursday does give us a bit of time to rest and recuperate. And at this point of the season, you're asking players just to push through the tiredness and the fatigue and everything else. Um, So I guess we can make some changes on Sunday, but not too many. And hopefully we can take uh, three points. We can say goodbye to Aaron Ramsey for the last time at the Emirates with a win to Petr Cech for the last time at the Emirates with a win and maybe maybe also Danny Welbeck who has probably already played his uh, his final game for the club uh, that was back in November when he got injured but he deserves a goodbye too we'll wait and see what happens on Sunday what kind of a team we'll get what kind of festivities there might be three points a lap of appreciation all that kind of stuff I can't believe it's the final home game of the season I just don't know where the time has gone uh, anyway look thank you very much indeed for being here hope you've enjoyed the show there's plenty more to listen to on our Patreon if you're not already a member you can join for a five or a month patreon.com forward slash arsblog lots more podcasts on there and uh, if you are an arsblog member on patreon you also get these podcasts ad free so that's something to consider as well please give us a rating or review on itunes if you feel like doing that if you don't don't worry about it it seems like a lot of hassle um so don't worry about it in the slightest james and i will have an arsecast extra for you on monday but because he's 
he's away doing comedy things with his comedy friends. We're not going to be able to record until Monday evening, so the Arscast Extra will be a little later than usual this week, but we will have it for you uh, at some point on Monday. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's keep fingers crossed for three points for Arsenal against Brighton on Sunday. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Holy God FM. There you go. One of the greatest pianists of our time. Bruce Hornsby and the range. Many people ask what set him apart. Why was his piano so plinky plunky compared to other people? And the truth is God gave him fingers like a lemur's arm. We've got a text here from Virgil. Virgil says, Dear Holy God FM, I'm very sad about what happened to me during the week. I didn't have my finest moment, even though I prayed to the Lord to make it a good night for me. But it wasn't. What did I do wrong? Look, Virgil, you didn't do anything wrong, apart from totally switch off at key moments. But the truth is, why should you get special treatment ahead of the other 21 players on the pitch? That's just not how it works, no matter how many times you do the sign of the cross. It's coming up on 12 minutes to the hour, taking us closer to the news and weather, an exciting moment in pop history, another great song by a footballer. We all know how amazing they've been down the years. Think of diamond lights, think of fog on the tyne, and we here at Holy God FM are proud to debut the new hip-hop single from Andre Arshavin. It's called Look at That Fucking Egypt Over There. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.